in my mind, when I think of pour over, I always think of its gravity. But when you look at immersion, it does range from the clever all the way to espresso in rates of pressure. So I think that the the immersion side is a little more complex in how we look at it. I'm Kenneth Thomas, and this is Coffee 101, brought to you by Humble Coffee. Coffee 101 is your one-stop shop for everything coffee, and today's no different. We're talking about pour-over versus immersion, and it's kind of important. Unfortunately, I don't have Katie in the studio with me today, so... We will probably get to the interview a little quicker just because, honestly, I'm not as entertaining as she is. I'm kind of the coffee nerd, geek, whatever you want to call it. Um, But when you're looking at, and we'll get into it in the show, immersion versus pour over, when we're talking about immersion, it's things like French press, AeroPress, Clever, things like that, whereas a pour over or drip would be like Hario V60, Kalita Wave, Chemex. And Mark Inman with Sustainable Harvest is a great guy to kind of shoot the breeze with this kind of stuff. So I asked him to come on to the show, and amazingly, he said absolutely. And uh, so let's just go ahead and jump to the episode. This is with Mark Inman of Sustainable Harvest. Mark, we got you back on the show. I know. I must have did something right. <laughs> <laughs> or either we just, we've ran out of people. Ran to, out of people. Yeah. And uh, we're like, well, I guess we can, I mean, we could call them if we really, really have to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that often happens with me, people <laughs> in the last resort. <laughs> no, we, uh, no, I, I thought you would actually be good for um, this episode um, and, and you're just one of those guys in the coffee industry that, um, you know, I would say just a little bit about everything and, and have an opinion on everything. And, uh, so I think that's good. And, uh, so we're going to talk today about immersion versus pour over, and we'll kind of dabble or trail off in a couple of different directions on some, some other things related to that. But then we will come back. Um, But, um, you know, one of the first things and one of the easiest things is I'm just going to throw out what I would call a definition of immersion versus uh, drip or pour over. But then Mm -hmm. I'm going to back off and I'm going to I'm going to let us just kind of chat a little bit. Um, So immersion is as it sounds. Uh, So it is literally immersing the water into the coffee grounds. Uh, So examples that you have for this are like your French press, your air press, clever, uh, siphon, if you get super fancy, uh, and then what I would call cold brew devices. And for pour over, again, is as it sounds, you're literally allowing the water to drip through or pour over the coffee grounds and the water comes out as soon as it can. And there are different things like grind size that affect that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's your devices like your 
the most traditional or that we would expect are like Hario V60, Kalita Wave. There's also the Melita Chemex, which is an uh, one that's pretty popular. And then um, cold drip devices, which we will talk a little bit about. So past that, I'm going to back off and uh, and let, let Mark talk. Great. Um, yeah, I, I have, you know, opinions on, uh, on this subject that, uh, you know, range, but I would say the one thing that is interesting about the immersion side that I don't think is discussed enough is the use of pressure in okay. immersion brewing. Yeah. So if you look at like, not the, the clever, but the clover brewer, which, yeah. uh, you know, predates some people in the industry, uh, that used vacuum pressure to pull, the, the coffee through once it was, you know, immersed in it and the extraction happened there. You look at a press pot, for example, you're applying pressure when you press it down, um, some, you know, even squeezing it. And then if you get into like vacuum brewing, uh, siphon brewing, you know, that's using pressure. So yeah. I would say within immersion, there's even some subsets there that, um, that throw those parameters off a bit. Yeah. Yeah, because if if you yeah, and pressure is a good point as far as um, you know you've got um, even just the three that I can think of that you know would be varying degrees. You're uh, clever. Uh, if our one on ers aren't familiar with that, uh, it, it's basically got a little plug in the bottom a plunger. Yeah, yeah, and then once you finish the immersion, you simply let gravity then like let the water through and you have controlled when the water goes through. Whereas right. uh French press, you've got, we'll say maybe a little more pressure, maybe not, uh, mm-hmm. but there is some pressure there. Um, well, and depending then on how much you hit the gym. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and uh, what is it called? Get your pump in. Or, yeah, uh, yeah. Get your pump on. <laughs> yeah. Get your pump on. Uh, and then you have like AeroPress where you actually, it's, it's a, it's a pretty good, um, pressure as far as yeah getting that through there well and you can even ramp that up to espresso if you right. keep going yeah yeah so okay so tangent here so would you even put espresso into one of those categories of immersion or pour over or do you think it's unique enough on its own you know, I mean you look at terms like pre-infusion on an espresso machine that would lead to immersion brewing. So I would say it's on the extreme end of the pressure spectrum of immersion brewing. That's that's the hot take of today. Okay. So I'm going to I'll argue a little bit on the other side and I'll say that I'm, I might argue that it's on the pour over side and, and because technically you're not holding the um the water in before you release it, even though you do have a high pressure um, mm-hmm. and you just have that open, um, you know, thing at the, at the bottom of the port filter, but it's, but it may be, yeah, it may have a category of its own, but, sure. but the, I think the bigger thing, like what you're talking about is, which I think is super interesting is, is how, how do you, how do you factor pressure into some of these things um, or I guess a bigger question is, is there a different way to categorize, um, you know, some of this stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think in my mind, when I think of pour over, I always think of it's gravity. 
Yeah. That's all that's the factor there. But when you look at immersion, it does range from the clever all the way to espresso in rates of pressure. So I think that the, the immersion side is a little more complex in how we look at it. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, to varying results. I think that, you know, you look at what happens in a clever, which is almost like a dripper because it is using gravity at the end of the day. Uh, it's like a slow dripper, really. Right. Um, all the way to espresso, you have varying degrees of viscosity, of uh, of heft in the cup, the flavor uh, uh, components, the amount of uh, solubles that are floating with the, the solids that are floating within the uh, cup at the end, uh, the residual um, solid particles. Uh, so whereas in, in filter brew, you don't have these factors at play. Mm-hmm. Well, Kind of speaking of that, um, how would you say, and you kind of alluded to it um, with that, is just, and this is a very general statement, um, how would you say if you had the same coffee, everything else is held equal in some kind of immersion versus Mm -hmm. pour over, like what differences might... Uh, you or somebody brewing at home, like what would they tell a difference in one to the other? And this is a general statement because you and I both know that there are so many factors um, that can control, you know, for some of these. Right. So, I mean, coming from my background in winemaking, I would say, and, you know, living here in the wine country, I have to represent uh, as much as possible. Uh, I look at, uh, immersion brewing being very similar to unfined, unfiltered wines, wines that need to be decanted because they have sediment and the sediment is playing a role in the wine. Mm. Uh, the hit against unfined, unfiltered wines is that they're not refined enough. They're not clarified enough. And even through through decanting, you still have sediment at the bottom of the wine glass, which does, it adds a level of heft in the palate, but it also clouds the palate from picking up the finer nuances versus drip brew and, and filter brew, which is really fine and filtered wine, uh, ranging in clarity. Now we, we, you know, we could go from a steel mesh filter all the way to a Chemex right. and everything in between is the varying degrees of how fine and how filtered you're going. Um, so that's, I think the main differences that you see in the two methods, uh, one is going to have sediment, uh, and, and have a lot of viscosity and heft. And the other one uh, is going to be more clear and, um, refined. Yep. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, the caveat I would add to it for our one-on-oneers out there, um, and, and Mark kind of said this is. Sometimes, and you know, the filter itself will obviously make a difference on that sediment, which ultimately is going to lead to mouthfeel and mm-hmm. body um, for mm-hmm. us. And so, I think of like say an AeroPress with a with the traditional paper filter versus if you use a metal filter, you're going to get more body, more sediment, uh, more mm-hmm. fats. So you get that kind of savory. Um, taste um, if you use a metal filter. Sure. Yeah, and uh, you know, I was just thinking about this while we were talking. I, got, I was getting distracted. I mean, you 
where would you put Turkish? That's an immersion. True. Yeah. So Turkish. Yeah, I guess I would say um, immersion um, because and so for our one on oneers out there, and we'll have an episode on this coming up. But Turkish coffee, you really fine, fine grind the coffee, mm-hmm. and uh, y'all could look on YouTube and find videos of this. Um, there's a very specific um, recipe and a way to do it in this thing called an ibric, um, but the grounds stay in there, um, and you drink the coffee. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be, I, would, I, I think I would call it an immersion. Sure. What yeah, do you certainly think? not filtered. Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah filtered. but it's it's almost a different category because of the boiling and all of that. But yeah, at its heart, it's an immersion brew, which probably has, I would say, the most amount of sediment soluble. Yeah. I mean, it does filter itself to the bottom, but there's a lot in the cup when you drink the coffee as well. Right. And I also think of when we in the coffee industry do cupping, you know, mm-hmm. if we do it the traditional way, then the grounds stay um, essentially in the bottom. You know, minus right. anything we get off the top. Skim, um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so so I've always found it interesting, um, and we usually do a little bit of both here at Umble, um, the difference in how it tastes with that, we'll say, immersion on the cupping table versus if you have it on drip. Um, and you will traditionally get more clarity, um, kind of some of some of those brighter um, potential flavors and aromas out of there. Um, and so, well, this kind of leads me to another thought: is for the we're going two two different people here. One for the beginner coffee mm-hmm. drinker. Uh, what is the most predictable and enticing gateway immersion versus pour over that you think would get them in. Um, and then I've got a follow-up question, but, but I'm sure. curious. Well, I, and I would argue that the, the press pot or French press is yeah. the gateway drug to specialty coffee. Yeah. I think people that are, are into coffee have had a lot of exposure to drip brew and they usually see it as thin and uninteresting because it was usually poor coffee that their parents were drinking. And when they get into college, all of a sudden they buy a French press and they usually buy dark roast with the French right. press. And they're just like punched in the face with flavor and heft. And I think that from that gateway, you start to refine yourself yeah. uh, as time marches on. And that can go in a million directions, but um, and this is like, you know, I, I have no problem with French press. I think there, I treat French press the same way I treat a cupping where I pour the water in, let the ground settle and skim the top before I plunge okay. to, to cool. get more clarity out of the cup. Yeah. Um, but when I first got into coffee, the two routes I went were mocha pot and French press. Cool. And it was just like, you know, getting assaulted with uh, coffee flavor. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Coffee 101, brought to you by Humble Coffee. Hey, 101ers, Kenneth here. It doesn't matter if you're using a French press or a Clever or a Hario V60. 
Uh, as long as you like your coffee, then thumbs up. And if you're looking for great coffee, look no further than Humble Coffee. There's a link in the show notes, or you can go to humblecoffee.com. And at Humble, we select coffee from origin to optimize for health benefits. And as it turns out, that also tends to be the better tasting coffees out there in the world because they're high grown, which means they're a little denser. And there's some other little nuances that go to it. And at Humble Coffee, we have been in the U.S. finals for several coffee roasting competitions. So, we know what we're doing. We'd love for you to support us and support the show by going to humblecoffee.com and grabbing you a bag of coffee. But ultimately, honestly, we just want you to enjoy your cup. Now, let's get back to my interview with Mark Inman of Sustainable Harvest. Uh, I do think immersion across the board for the beginner is an easier, you know, potentially, again, across the board, less bells and whistles, less things to mess up, less things Uh to try to factor in compared to pour over. Um, Right. And so then that leads me to my next question, which is for the one-on-one out there or the home brewer or the barista who is trying to troubleshoot um, something that they're brewing? Like, what what methods of brewing coffee do you think lend to the, the greatest amount of variability in the things that we can control? So this is the other end of the spectrum as far as complexity. It can be, you can have a terrible cup, but if you know what you're doing and you know what you could potentially change then you have a lot more degrees of freedom, if that makes sense. I mean, in that case, I would probably give it to the the clever dripper because you can control the immersion time. Yeah. Uh, I would also probably put French press in there as well because it's skim, not skim. The type of coffee you use it, uh, will dictate how that will, will taste in, the, in that method. Whereas drip brewing you don't really have that much control other than the rate of the flow of the water and yeah. grind particle size. That would be it. You know, that it would, but I think that the, the immersion allows you to control how much steep time, you know, for lack of a better term that you would give the coffee, which is going to dictate a lot in extraction rates. Yeah. Obviously espresso, if we're including that would be the most complex. Right. And the way that I think about espresso or anything that has pressure is the higher the pressure and especially the finer you have your, you've ground your coffee. Um, both those things independently, I think have some of the most significant impact on like kind of making or breaking, um, you know, a great cup, you know, even with espresso, right. we think about, I mean, you're talking about five seconds or less being the difference in something that turns out great Mm-hmm. Or turns out terrible. True. Um, oh, it could be tamp pressure. It could be yeah. You know anything. Uh, the fill rate. I mean, there's so many factors in espresso that the fact that people are getting consistently good cups is a miracle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that brew yeah. method. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so one thing I was thinking about that I would add to that, how many variables, um, you know, you had talked about the fresh, the French press and the mm-hmm. clever. Um, I think that it's a little more challenging, um, but I think that, that you have some variability in some of those different pour over um, methods and even I was thinking for the pour over, if I had to pick something um, for the beginner, if they really wanted to do a pour over to do, I think I would probably recommend a Kalita Wave uh, because it's got that flat bottom. Um, it's got uh, three predictable holes as far as like controlling the rates. Um, mm-hmm. And then I feel like um, if you really over or under extract that you could just change the grind size um, to compensate for that and see some changes. Whereas I think sometimes anything that's got a cone filter, like a Hario V60 Chemex, to right. me is a little more challenging. I don't know. What are sure. your thoughts? No, I, I would agree with you. Although I would look at, um, I used I used to own a company called True Brew. This was a spinoff of Loring Smart Roast. I was using stainless, the waste stainless steel from the Loring and making these stainless brew bars. And I was importing uh, cones from a company called Zero Japan called Bee House. And they had two holes uh, in the bottom. Okay. And you had the Bond Mac, which people have sold that has one hole. And then you have Melita with three holes. And then you have the Haria with a large hole. And Tom Owens from Sweet Maria's did a great, video called one hole, two hole, three holes, big hole. And it was comparing all these methods and, uh, and shattering his own belief of what was the the best method. And so I I do think that the one and two hole drip cones can do, can give you a a fantastic brew with with little variability. But, you know, if you lean on Kevin Knox, who used to be the, uh, roast master at Starbucks in the back in the day and started Allegro coffee. He's very much in your camp. He believed that cone brewing was very bad because the, the ground particles would settle mm-hmm. in their density and you have uneven extraction no matter what you did. Yeah. Um, so he would, he was in the flat bottom camp. Um, now that said, I like, I like a cup better personally from mm-hmm. a cone filter-based pour-over. Than a, than a flat bottom. Than a flat bottom. But and if I was a beginner, that? I think that it's the TDS. I think I like... Uh-huh. So okay. for my, our one-on-oneers out there, TDS is a total dissolved solid, so it's just one specific measurement we have in coffee. Um, but think about it as like a... kind of like a concentration of, a, of certain flavors. Um, but I think I tend to like a stronger cup so like if we're looking at ratios like a 1 to 15 to 1 to 16 coffee to water mm-hmm. um and i um when you look all things equal for a cone versus a flat bottom um your tds is going to tend to be a little higher um again all things equal from a cone yeah like 19 to 20% would be ideal yeah in a cone yeah I don't know. What Although, are your thoughts? I would agree with you. Of all of the, the methods of the drip, I'm a big, big Chemex fan. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm going full filtered find. I mean, that is like the thickest filter. 
the most, uh, you know, filtering of, of coffee. Uh, but I get the, I tend to like uh, more sweeter, brighter coffees and that yeah. tends to maintain that clarity for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I own all the other cone methods and I just, they're, they're not my go-to. I, I yeah. rarely pull them out anymore. Yeah. Honestly. So, uh, I guess little, you know, secret inside. So my, my two go-tos in the morning currently, and it does mm. change up. Um, I do a lot of, uh, clever and oh, I do okay. a lot of, uh, AeroPress. Um, I don't oh, okay. know. Part yeah. of it's Hardcore. a balance. Yeah, part of it's a balance <laughs> of simplicity, and then um, I don't know. But then I'll use all kinds of other stuff, you know, during the day, you know. For but I really do. I, I'm a, I'm with you. I, I like a Chemex, um, and I do agree as far as that definitely gives you that clarity. Um, yeah, I think Chemex makes a so like if I'm if I'm pouring for more than myself. I would mm-hmm. use a Chemex because the, I guess I have, I don't know if it's the bigger one or not, but I have one that it just makes more than one cup of coffee. Um, yeah. The mid size. Yeah. I guess I could like go down, I could put less grounds in there, but you know, I just, well, the, and the little three cupper one, they yeah. call it a three cupper. I love, I have all three sizes. Yeah. Uh, I love the little one. Uh, if my wife is at work already and I'm brewing, I'll do the little one. And if I have guests at the house, I have a large one that, that does, I could brew, you know, uh, 1200 grams of water into that thing. It's, it yeah. will hold quite a bit. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk real quick about cold brew devices mm. because, you know, um, uh, traditionally almost immediately when you think of cold brew, most of it is stuff that. Uh, is what I would call immersion, and you're either putting it on the counter uh, for a certain amount of hours or overnight or in the fridge. Mm-hmm. So that would be immersion. But then we also have what I would call some cold drip devices where okay. you can control a very, very fine drip rate you know, through the grounds, and you can use that as like a cold brew, but technically it would be, I would call it a drip or a pour over style versus right. what we're used to. Um, and one, uh, one last thing I'd say about that is um, that I don't have one of these myself, but I have heard that because you're on such a large time scale, getting that drip exactly right can be just kind of, you know, you can pull your hair out, um, on a cold drip, on a cold drip mm-hmm. to, to like, to end that perfect slow drip, like whatever, 12 hours from now or however that ends up being, if that makes sense. Sure. Sure. Well, I mean, I look at, uh, cold brew in the same way as the earlier subject, you have like the toddy, which to me is the, the equivalent of a French press where you just literally have coffee soaking in a bucket and then you let it drain out slowly uh versus i I, i'm losing his name there a japanese uh coffee professional who really started who who became famous for doing uh you know basically a cone like a a, a bee house or melita 
and the, in the chamber below you'd have ice mm-hmm. and you would offset the weight with hot water. So the hot water would go through, it would hit the ice, the ice would melt and you get your grams of water through the melting of the ice for the perfect cold drip. And what I found in that method was again, a lot of clarity, a lot of brightness. My, my hit against cold brew in general is that it can taste like paint where you're just drinking a thick liquid that doesn't have any nuances. It has the coffee flavor of coffee. That's about it. Yeah. And I, I think it's too simplistic. And, and because of that immersion cold brewing becomes an ingredient for a greater drink. You're putting it in oat milk. You're putting it with some a sweetener. You're not drinking it black on ice. Uh, or unless you're just an absolute sadist, you're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. um, versus a cold drip method, which I think you can drink uh, straight without any, any ing- other ingredients, and it tastes like a cold version of coffee. Yeah. And then finally... Uh, what I was fascinated by, I was in Mice, Australia, the show in Australia last August, and um, they were debuting an espresso machine that was pulling iced espresso, cold espresso. Huh. That the, the, the machine you could go from hot input to cold input. And when I saw them pull it, I thought, there's no way this is going to work. And it was fantastic what came out of that. So, so okay, so was the... Was the water that went into the puck cold? Yeah, cold. So, what was do you do you remember off the top of your head like what the actual like extraction time was? Or like it was I mean, similar to a regular pulling a regular shot. It huh. looked and acted. Now it came out slightly thinner. You didn't have the amount yeah. of crema that you would have on a normal shot, but you still had a very thick cup. You know, and one it, interesting I, thing. One interesting thing with that just kind of my my mind going in different directions is uh if you got the pressure up high enough then you could keep the time the same and with a different temperature extract the same amount i just don't know what that pressure would be anyway i was just thinking yeah i believe the pressure was the same when i watched them do the demo i think it was breville that that has this machine now yeah i think it was released in Australia and Europe first. I, I think it just hit the U.S., but it it was impressive. Uh, but that being said, I think that you know cold brew is one of those those methods that it really ranges from very crude and rough to decently refined. I, I just don't think you're getting a fantastic cup out of cold brew methods. Yeah, you know what I mean. Whereas iced tea, on the other hand, you can get refined teas cold i mean it works that way yeah well let me ask you this as we kind of wrap up today um Mm -hmm. if let's do you have different like let's say whatever it's a processing method that's specific or a roast level that's specific Mm -hmm. are there things with the coffee itself that if you have a choice and you have time that you might change or do a different brewing method specific yeah. to either, and it could be anything, roast level, processing method. Those are just a couple that I thought were pretty obvious. Sure. So I believe, I mean, I'll, I'll attack roast level because I think that's something that I think where the brewing method 
dictates the the quality of the final product. I would, as a just a general rule of thumb, suggest if you're somebody who tends to like darker coffee or heavier body coffee, mm-hmm. uh, that you would do a drip method and and kind of clean it up so it, you have the refi- a little bit more refined taste out of that hefty cup. I think you know having a, a dark roast coffee or a, a high a heavy body like an Indonesia that's uh, roasted to a fuller development and you go into an immersion brew, it's just like a hammer on a hammer. Yeah. On the flip right. side, I think if you took like a really bright Yergeshev yeah. and you did it through a drip brewer, it almost is like, you might as well just go get a lemon from the yard and squeeze it in your mouth. Yeah. Or like a lemon I think, tea. Yeah. Yeah. I think in that method, you're actually better off going to immersion because you're adding a little bit of body, a yeah. little bit more roundness to that acidic cup. And it's just playing with the contrast. So um, that's how I would approach yeah. it uh, in a general, very general format. Yeah, no, I think that's good um, because I have had those lighter roasted Ethiopian cups that um, I really want them to be good. Uh, but mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's a, they can be a challenge for my palate because they do taste like just a straight up to me, like a lemon tea, like without yeah. any kind of sugar or anything. And there's no body. Um, there's no body. Right. But like what Mark is saying here, uh, one of wonders is, you know, if you go to that, some of those immersion options, then you might be able on a lighter roast to pull in some of that body and, and even mouthfeel, which I think lends to a, and, and he would agree just a better balance um, and, mm-hmm. and even complexity in the cup. Whereas those dark roasts and you double it up on immersion are really going to kind of punch you in the face with that. Yeah. Yeah. With hey, that. And some people need that, but yeah. <laughs> I don't always need that every morning. Yeah. So it's just to each his own. Well, listen, it was yeah. great having you on. Tell me what's been going on at Sustainable Harvest. Well, we we just uh, concluded our Let's Talk Coffee event in Copan Ruinas, Honduras. We had 325 people uh, make their way to Honduras for three days of uh, events and and uh, classes and uh, you know parties, dancing. It was fantastic. So uh, that that we just concluded, and we're gearing up now for SCA, which uh, is going to be based in our hometown of Portland, Oregon. And looking forward to receiving a lot of our guests uh, there at the show. Yeah, no, I think that'll be great. And, you know, one thing I would say to any one of oneers out there that are in the coffee industry, um, check out Sustainable Harvest. They really do a good job of um, developing that relationship with the farm and with the farmers and um, giving you an opportunity as the roaster or the shop to 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 get into that relationship um and and like he was mark was saying where they were just coming back from that that sustainable harvest does stuff like that to to get you know those those shop owners and those roasters and really anybody in that um involved you know directly and and seeing the faces of the people you know that they're working with yep Well, cool. All right, man. I'm going to let you go. I enjoyed it. All right. Thank you. Take care. All right, one of oneers Now you know the ins and outs of everything you need to know about 
pour over versus immersion. And it is an important episode to kind of bring out some of those details and uh, pay attention or go back and listen to some of the tail end where we talked about our recommendations on what to start with and some of the nuances as far as pros and cons between different brewing devices. And we hope you enjoyed the episode and we hope that you upped your coffee game. That's all we have for you today on Coffee 101. Thanks again for listening and do what we always ask you to do. Do a couple of things. Can you think of what they are? Yep, you got it. So tell a friend and make sure you follow the show and give us a rating. And if you have questions, leave them in the rating comments or just DM us on Instagram at Humble Coffee. That's U-M-B-L-E Coffee. And we will see you next time. Love y'all. Peace out.